Amen. Thank you, worship team. And uh, thank you, Pastor John, for giving me the opportunity to preach this morning. Our fifth sermon in our superhero series. I hope you've enjoyed this series as much as I have, learning about great men and women of the faith being inspired to continue to trust Christ and to follow Him with everything uh, that you're made up of. And uh, man, if I could just uh, be like Rahab and, and have her faith in the face of fear, uh, if I could just stand firm like the, like the three Hebrew children in the midst of a fiery furnace, knowing that Jesus is with me, and, and whether he delivers me or not, I'm just going to be faithful. Well, today I hope you're continuing uh, to be inspired by Zacharias. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, I know uh, if you've looked at the bulletin and you've looked at my sermon outline, you'll notice that I've titled today's sermon, Don't Stop Believing." Now, I hope that I haven't distracted a lot of you 1980s music enthusiasts with my title this morning. I don't want you to be distracted. I want you to pay attention as we learn together about Luke 1. All right. Good. That's good, guys. Anybody recognize the tune there? Don't stop believing. You ready to sing every verse and chorus together this morning? You know, this song was the number one downloaded song in the 20th century. Don't stop believing. Uh, So now that's going to be stuck in our head all day. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, let's turn in our Bibles now because we're in church to Luke chapter 1. Yeah, because I don't want you, as I preach this morning, to think about these guys. Go ahead and show. I don't want you to think about these guys. I want you to think about this guy. That guy, Zacharias. He's found in Luke chapter 1. And I want to give you some background before we we see. We're going to see seven things about our superhero servant, Zacharias, today. But before we get there, I want to give you a little bit of a background on this gentleman right here. Do you realize that Zacharias' story kicks off the New Testament for us? Uh, They could have started anywhere. The Holy Spirit could have inspired Luke to start anywhere, but he, he chose to start here with this man's story, and I think it's very significant. Because before Zacharias existed, did you know that it had been 800 years before the Israelite people had seen a miracle from God in their midst? Do you realize that it had been 500 years before anybody in the nation of Israel had been visited by an angelic messenger? Do you realize that it had been 400 years since the nation of Israel had even heard anything from their God? Total silence. They probably felt abandoned. They probably felt forgotten. Now, some of you, when I say the name Zacharias, you have kind of a problem, a conflict in your mind because you've heard of a Zechariah, but it wasn't Zacharias. Well, that's because there's two other men in the Bible that have the name Zechariah. In the Old Testament, there's two men, and they spell their name Z-E-C-H, and it's just a variant spelling of the same name. So Zechariah in the Old Testament, those two men, and Zacharias, it's the same name, just different spellings. And I think this is also interesting because the first Zechariah we encounter in the Bible lived 700 years before this Zacharias, and he was a king of Israel. He only served as king for six months. He was betrayed by his captain uh, of of his army and and killed, so he had a pretty short reign. Nevertheless, he was a king of the nation of Israel. And then you fast forward another 200 years, about 500 years before Zacharias here in Luke, and there was another Zechariah who was a prophet. He has an Old Testament book named after him, Zechariah. Did you know that the last time God sent an angel to speak to the nation of Israel, it was to the prophet Zechariah. And now fast forward. Luke chapter 1, we have a Zacharias, probably named after one of the two Old Testament figures, and he serves as a priest 
Does that ring a bell with any of you who study the Bible? There was a Zechariah who was a king. There was a Zechariah who was a prophet. And now we have a Zacharias who's a priest, prophet, priest, and king. What do those three offices reflect? Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, right? He was a prophet. He was a priest. He was a king. And isn't it just like God, after all of these many centuries of silence, that he chose to send his angel Gabriel to a man, Zacharias, whose name means, get this, remembered by Jehovah. Isn't that awesome? Zacharias is a superhero servant, and we're going to see seven reasons why. Let's take a look. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're going to start reading in verses 5 and 6. And before we get there, I'm sorry, I keep, I keep interrupting myself here. Before we get there, I'm going to give you two just overarching statements that I want you to walk away with today. Two overarching truths that we learn from Zachariah's life. The first is this. God is never limited by time and circumstance. I want you to remember that. God is never limited by time and circumstance. The second truth is this. His purpose and plans always prevail. No matter what it looks like, no matter what your circumstance, no matter how long it's been since you've heard from God, God is never limited by time and circumstance. His purpose and plans always prevail. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances ordinances of the Lord, blameless. The first thing we see in Luke chapter 1 about our super servant, Zacharias, is that he was a saintly servant. He was a saintly servant. Now, a lot of you are good people. I mean, I've known you for a little while, and I would say you're good people. You look nice. You speak nice. For the most part, you're kind. You've got me fooled, and you've probably got those that sit around you in church fooled. They would probably say you're good people, too. Some of you, I'm not so sure. But most of you, good people. And it's easy to fool people that we see once a week. Maybe that's why some of you only come to church once a week. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on. You, you couldn't fool anybody if it was more than once. But it's easy to fool people that see us so little. Some of us are even better at fooling those that we see on a regular basis. It's hard to fool family. But you can't fool God. And we can put on our church clothes and put on our church face and walk around with a nice spiritual disposition, but God knows our hearts. He knows the true condition of our hearts. That's why I am amazed that it says of Zacharias that he and Elizabeth both were saintly servants. It says that they, they were righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. You see, Zacharias came from a priestly family. They gave his order. He, he's a descendant of priests, and, and their, their sole job is to represent the people of Israel in the temple worship before God. Well, he married a girl that's also a descendant of priests, and so they're priestly people. In fact, his wife was named after the wife of Aaron. Aaron was the very first priest for the nation of Israel, and his wife's name was Elizabeth, so the mother of all priests. And so Zachariah served as a priest. He's married to a woman, Elizabeth, who is named after the mother of all priests, and so they're very good people. These are faithful folks, and God will always use someone who is faithful. God will always look for a clean vessel in which to flow through with his Holy Spirit. And so Zacharias was a saintly servant. The second thing we see about Zacharias is in the first part of verse 7. It says, but, 
they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. That means that not only is Zacharias a saintly servant, but he's a sorrowful servant. This is a, ch- this is a, this is a couple, a good couple that had prayed for many, many, many years for a child, and they still do not have a child. And in their context, this is a big deal. Do you realize that the Jewish people, they didn't see the first commandment that came from God as, you know, only worship God and Him alone? No. They, they go way back before that when God created everything, and then He created man and woman, and He said, be fruitful and multiply. They, they considered that the very first commandment from God, be fruitful and multiply. And for a Jewish couple not to have any offspring was a shameful thing. In fact, we know this from, from later on in chapter 1, verse 25, when, when Elizabeth finds out that she's going to have a baby, this is what she says, thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So she felt looked down upon because she couldn't have a baby. And so here is a couple that is faithfully serving. Before God, they are blameless, faithful, good people, and they have unanswered prayer in their life, a burden that they carry with them all the time, something, some stigma in society that they wear every single day. You know what I've learned in the last 20-some years of ministry? Everybody has a burden. Will you say that after me? Say, everybody has a burden. I don't care how good they look. I don't care how nice they look on the outside, how together they, they might seem to have it. Man, their Facebook might look fabulous. They might be Pinterest perfect. Their Instagrams are inspiring. But know this, they have issues. Everybody carries a burden. And Zacharias and Elizabeth were no different. These were saintly people, but they were sorrowful people. Sorrowful people. What else do we learn about Zacharias? The last part of verse 7 there, it says, And they were both well advanced in years. We know that Zacharias was a senior servant. He was a senior servant. He was a sorrowful servant. He was a senior servant. How many of you have a King James Version Bible this morning? Raise your hand. It's hard for them to just raise their hand. They want to say, Amen. But uh, if, you have, if you have a King James Version, it says they were well stricken in years. The older I get, the more I understand the King James English. They were stricken, well stricken in years. They were well advanced. And you know, it's, it's in this context, it's, it's negative in the sense that they're too old to have a baby, but it's not negative in the sense that Zacharias was still actively serving God, even though he was well advanced in years. You know, you know our age is kind of like uh, broken up into categories, just like you would order a steak. You can order your steak rare, right? Barely cooked. Then there's medium rare. And then there's medium. That's me. I'm 45. I'm medium. And then you have medium well. And then some of you, you're, you're almost ready to hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. You've been on the grill of life a long time. You know what I mean? You're tough. You're tough by now. Well, <laughs> Zacharias, he was well done. He was well done. Uh, scholars believe that Zacharias was at least in his 60s maybe in his 70s, probably in his 80s at this time. And while that's negative in the fact that they are way past childbearing years and that God was going to have to do something miraculous, and he would, but in a positive way, I see Zacharias still faithfully serving. In fact, he, he did the most important service for God 
at this well advanced in years age. Do you realize that, that when he was, that when the lot was cast and his lot was drawn, supernaturally of course, so that he could serve in the temple, that this was a once and a lifetime opportunity for a priest to enter into the holy place and represent the entire nation of Israel and to take coals from the brazen altar and put them in the altar of incense and then add the incense. And as the cloud, the fragrant cloud rises to heaven, the whole nation is praying at that moment. And in that moment, you are standing in intercession for the entire nation of Israel. That's the highest privilege of any priest. And he got to do it when he was well advanced in years. Now, as a side note, let me say this. Those of you that are medium well, well done, don't stop serving. Don't say, oh, I've done my time, or I'm too old, and what's God going to do with me? Do you realize that some of the oldest people in Scripture did some of the greatest things? Caleb, when he was 80 years old, said, God, give me that mountain. Age is not a gauge, as our evangelist, our guest evangelist a couple weeks ago said. Age should never be a gauge in our service for God. Do you realize that when you're medium well and well done, you've never known more of the Bible than you do right now? You are never better, you've never been better equipped to lead someone to faith in Christ than you are right now. You've never been more equipped to disciple someone and to teach them the ways of the Lord than you are right now. You've never been more in love with Jesus than you are right now. You are super qualified as a senior saint. Let's take that cue from Zacharias. He was a saintly servant. He was a sorrowful servant. He was a senior servant. So let's look at verse 8. It says, So it was that while he was serving as priest before God, in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. Here we see a startled servant. I want you to picture in your mind what Zacharias is doing. He goes and he gets some coals from the brazen altar and he walks into the holy place. It's a very sacred moment. He's been preparing for it his entire life. The only light in that room is coming from the candles that are burning on the lampstand. And he walks up to that incense altar that is just outside the veil that separates man from the presence of God. And he puts the coals in, and then he takes the incense, and he puts it on the coals, and all of a sudden this fragrant plume of smoke starts to rise, and he begins to pray. And then all of a sudden, to the right of the altar, this wasn't a vision, this was a person standing, an angel was standing in the holy place to the right of the altar, and he calls his name Zacharias. Now, it has been 500 years since an angel has appeared to anyone. And, and he knows all about it. He's read Zechariah, the book of Zechariah. He, he may have been named after him. And he read about how he interacted with an angel, but never in his lifetime did he ever think anything like that would happen to him. And so he's doing his service, and I can just imagine the angel turning off his glow, sneaking up, standing next to the, to the altar, and he I'll wait until the smoke starts going. And so the smoke starts coming. He goes, Zacharias! Probably freaked him out, man. That's how I would have done it. I don't know. I would have, I would have taken advantage of that. 
And it says that he was troubled. Well, that word troubled literally means startled. Have you ever been startled? Uh, most of the time, if you come into our offices, our doors are wide open. And my door is open all the time, and I'm sitting there. And, and uh, in my peripheral, I can see the hallway that connects, you know, my office with Pastor John's office, with Miss Joyce and Violet and all that stuff. And so I'm, I'm there all the time. Well, John, Pastor John, is really stealthy when he walks. He walks quickly, and he walks quietly. And there are times where he comes in another door, and I don't realize he's in his office until he walks by my office. So I'm sitting there minding my own business, and all of a sudden, whoo, and I jump. Have you ever been startled like that? And he's, he's pretty nice to me. He doesn't intentionally scare me, but it just kind of makes you jump. Well, Zacharias was startled, and he had the same reaction as most people in Scripture. I mean, if you go back and you see other encounters, Gideon, when he met an angel back in Judges chapter 6, I believe, he was startled, scared him out of his mind. Uh, Samson's father, Manoah, in Judges 13, he encountered an angel. He had the same reaction. He was startled. A little bit later on in chapter 1 of Luke, you see Mary, and they, the, literally the same word, troubled or startled, occurs there. Uh, the, the shepherds, when they were on the hillside and the angel appears to them, it says in the King James that they were sore afraid. That must mean that they were sore because they were walking all through the, the mountains and stuff, and then when they saw the angel, they were afraid. I don't know, that, that wasn't a very good joke. But anyway, it's the same reaction. Anytime anybody sees an industrial strength angel, they're scared to death. That's why the angel always says, Fear not. Do not be afraid. So we see Zacharias is a startled servant. Well, what does the angel say to him? Verse 13, what they always say, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. By the way, that name means God is gracious. Isn't that great? And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to, the, to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What is Zacharias' reaction here? Verse 18. He said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. Here we see that Zacharias is a skeptical servant. He's skeptical. And before you judge him, understand this. No one in the nation had heard from God in 400 years. Even Zacharias, he is well advanced in age, and he has an unanswered prayer from God. You know that he and his wife Elizabeth, when they found out she couldn't have children, prayed and prayed to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God, do for us what you did for them. And there was silence. Always serving day after day in the temple, and he hadn't heard from God. So before you judge him for being skeptical, I would say that we are skeptical of what God says he's going to do for us and in our lives. How long has it been for you since you've seen a, a mighty move of God's hand? How long has it been since you have seen God do something that only he could do in someone's life, in your life? And before too long, our faith turns into frustration, turns into fear. And we think, God, are you even real? Can you hear me pray? 
And even when we have a supernatural encounter, we doubt. Because we used to serve a God with a big G, a God who's able to do great and mighty things, but now we've, we've changed that and we've, we've interchanged that with a little G. And we don't really think that God is really functioning or operative in our modern day lives. And so we get this horizontal perspective and we think, well, if it's going to be, it's up to me. And we go through the motions, and we come and we worship, and we hear God's word. We even connect with other Christians. And every now and then we pray, but we don't really pray believing that anything will change. And even when God gives us a word, this is what I'm going to do. I don't see how that's going to happen. That's what Zacharias was saying. There was an angel standing there talking to him. And he didn't believe. He was a skeptical servant. Well, the angel answered, verse 19, and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. He is real. That's where I work. He sent me to talk to you. I was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. For he beckoned to them and remained speechless. I think that Zacharias may have been from the south side of Judea. Because when he heard about the miracle that was about to happen to him and his wife, Elizabeth, he said, well, shut my mouth. <laughs> and the angel said, no problem. Because you did not believe me. Because you did not hear my message. You will not be able to speak. You will be mute until this thing has come to pass. So here we see Zacharias as a silent servant. Who out there enjoys talking? Will you raise your hand? I'm right there with you. I talk all the time. And now I have a son who talks all the time. And so that's God's way of saying, Dave, you've talked a lot. Now you need to listen. And so I spend most of my time listening to my eight-year-old son. And I love it. Wouldn't change a thing. But for a priest, a preacher, to not be able to speak, that is torture. I mean, can you imagine? It's been 800 years since a miracle. It's been 500 years since an angel. It's been 400 years since a word. And in less than 30 minutes, Zechariah personally speaks to an angel, hears about a miracle, and, says, and, and, and realizes that his son will prepare the way, not just as a word from God, but the word that is God will come and dwell among us. And he can't tell anybody about it. If I've had a good burger, I want to tell people about it. And he gets all of this in less than 30 minutes, and his lips are sealed. He cannot speak, not because he won't, but because he can't. How hard is it to not share information that you're not supposed to share? Anybody struggle with that? Man, it's so hard. And it's even harder when somebody says, you can't tell anybody. It's harder. I think, and I'm hopefully this is not heresy, but I really think this might be true. I think that we would all be better witnesses had Jesus said, here, listen, come here. Disciples, come in here. Listen, I have forgiven you of your sins. I have saved you. 
I will send my Holy Spirit. He will sanctify you. He will walk with you. He will guide you into all truth. I'm going to give you a book so that you know your purpose in life and exactly what God wants you to do. I will give you access to God Almighty, the creator of all things. All you have to do is pray in my name, and he will hear you and answer you. I am going now to prepare a place in heaven for you that will blow away anything that you see on planet earth. And by the way, this is available to everybody by faith in me. But don't tell anybody about it. Guys, I'm serious. If you tell somebody, so help me, I'm coming back here and I'm going to. You know what would have happened? We'd have told everybody. We'd be telling everybody. And yet Jesus has done the opposite with us. He says, I want you to be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And our silence is deafening. He's told us to go and tell. And instead we sit and we soak. And we don't share. Zacharias wanted to speak. Of all the times in his life, he wanted to talk, but he couldn't because of doubt and disbelief. He was the silent servant. Well, he remained speechless. When his time at the temple was complete, he went home. It says in verse 24, Now after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived. She hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Now turn over, uh, still in chapter 1, to verse 57. So we have Zacharias who is silent until the miracle has been accomplished. Verse 57, now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, no, he shall be called John. Again, John means God is gracious. But they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. Verse 62. So they made signs to his father what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote saying, and you can almost hear the music playing His name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea and all those who heard them kept them in their hearts saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Don't stop believing. Yeah. His mouth was opened and he spoke and fear came upon all. Now, what does a preacher, thank you guys, I appreciate that musical cue. I don't want everybody to start singing on me here. But what would a silent servant say after these nine long months of keeping it in? Something incredible happened. He went from being a silent servant to a spirit-filled servant. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 67, now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prophesied saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. 
as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And then I envision him scooping up baby John in his arms and continuing in verse 76, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in the darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. John, God is gracious. Baby John was born. And a man who had prayed, asking God for something, and waited and waited and waited and waited. Finally heard from God. Finally heard a yes from God. God did a miraculous thing in his life. And not only would a grandpa have a son, but he would be able to say of that son, my boy, filled with the Holy Spirit before he was even born. Your boy can play basketball, yes, but my son, filled with the Holy Spirit before he was even born. What's your son going to do for a living? Doctor, nice. Lawyer, good. We could use some more lawyers. Okay. My son, what's he going to do? He's going to prepare the way for Jesus, the Messiah. He's going to introduce the Savior of the world. You know what Jesus said of John the Baptist? No greater man born of a woman than John the Baptist. You see, God may make you wait. But man, when he answers, he answers perfectly, doesn't he? He answers perfectly. Zacharias was somebody just like you, just like me. He continued to serve. Sometimes he was skeptical, but man, God is faithful. And God is still faithful. Will you stand with me this morning? As Ben comes, I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm going to give you three things this morning, three phrases that I want you to take away from the sermon today. Maybe you're out there this morning and you're a believer. And my challenge to you today is don't stop believing. God is real. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, forever. He said, I am the Lord your God. I change not. And he proved it. He appeared to a man and said, Zacharias, you are not forgotten. I remembered you, and I heard your prayer. I heard your wife and you praying for a son. Not only am I going to give you a son, he's going to prepare the way of Messiah. Christian, don't stop believing. Don't stop believing. God is great. I'm going to give you three phrases today. The first is this. God knows. He knows how you feel. He knows what you're going through. He knows what happened to you. He knows. The second phrase is this, God cares. Not only does he know, he cares. He knew the intimate details of Zacharias and Elizabeth's life. He knew what they wanted. He knew what they needed. 
And he did it at just the right time. God knows. God cares. And the third thing I want you to remember is this. God is at work. God is at work. You might not see it. You might not feel it. But he is at work in your life. And he's going to do something that only he can do in the perfect timing. God knows. God cares. God is at work. Be encouraged by that today. And if you're here and you say, Dave, I can't stop believing because I haven't started believing. I don't know what you're talking about. But I feel the whole, I feel something going on in my heart right now. I feel, man, I don't know, I don't even know how to describe it. I feel bad, I guess. I feel convicted. That is the Holy Spirit of God gripping your heart, convicting you of sin, and drawing him to yourself. He wants you to trust in the promised Messiah that John preached about. You see, Jesus came. He lived a sinless life. And then he offered a sinless life on the cross so that you and I could have a relationship with our Creator. All we have to do is admit that we're sinners, trust in Jesus' finished work on the cross, believe in our heart that he died, was buried, and rose from the the dead, and confess with our mouth that he's Lord. And the Bible says he will save you right now. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Maybe today you're here and you need to start believing. There are people down here in front with an open Bible, and they would love to show you how to put your faith in Jesus Christ. For you, God knows that you need him. God cares about everything that's happened in your life, and God is at work to change your life. All it takes is a step of faith. You can take that step this morning. I'm going to say a word of prayer. The altars are open. Um, Christian, if you want to come and pray, say, God, build my faith, replace my frustration and fear with faith. Help me to keep believing. You need to come and pray. If you're here, you don't know Jesus, just come and take somebody's hand and say, I want to get saved today. How do I get saved? Let's pray. Then the invitation will begin. Father, we thank you for your grace in our lives. We thank you for the example of Zacharias. What a faithful man. What a man who, whose life was changed in a moment. You knew exactly where he was. You cared about his situation. And then you started working in his life. I pray that that testimony would be repeated this morning in so many lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need to pray, 